MacCast, Sunday, August 27th, 2023. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Mac news, hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? I hope you are having a great, wonderful day. I am doing pretty good. If you can't tell, things are going pretty well. And uh, we have a few things to talk about. Not a little, not, not a ton of news going on. Yeah, we know. We know. We've talked about this. It's uh, moving into iPhone season, right? We're weeks away from a potential iPhone announcement and new iPhones hitting the streets. And then that'll be followed up quickly by some Mac news and other sorts of things. We've been talking about all this, right? Uh, but... There is some good things to still talk about. So we're going to get into a little bit of iPhone news, more on the accessory side of things. And we'll explain what that means here in a second. So that gets interesting. We've got some potential iPad news and a little bit of AirPod, rather AirPod Pro 2 news. And that will really round things out. So like I said, not a lot of news happening, but then we're going to get into some of your feedback and questions, of course. We're going to follow up a little bit on our question question from last time about email hosting. I got some great recommendations from you in the community, so we're going to share those. We're going to talk about fonts and font management, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. And then a question about cleaning up disabled software. And we'll let you know what that means and explain what you can do about it or maybe not do about it. It'll all be clear as we get into the episode, but should be a good one. So I say we start off with some of the iPhone 15 stuff. Uh, For some reason, this week, rumors were loaded with details on the ever-exciting, wait for it, iPhone 15 cables. Woohoo! We all like cables, right? USB-C cables? Get a USB-C port in the iPhone. We've talked about that as well. Uh, last week, we did discuss the possibility of, at least on the Pro models, Apple adding Thunderbolt support. So support for Thunderbolt transfer speeds over that USB-C connection, which is exciting. Uh, but now we're hearing that even if that is true, even if it has Thunderbolt you might need a different cable than the one Apple's going to give you in the box. <laughs> now, the good news here is it's believed Apple is going to include a slightly longer cable this year. Looks looks like it might be 1.5 meters versus the standard one meter we typically get. So you get a little more length on your cable. It's going to be color matched to your iPhone, which is cool. It'll be braided, which is nice. It's going to be USB-C. And presumably, they're also going to be thicker which means potentially less prone to breakage. And as someone who goes through in his family more iPhone cables than I care to count, uh, that is good news. Now, I buy Anchor ones, but I basically stock them in my house because my family's constantly asking me for new cables. So I just keep a healthy stock here. Does anybody else do that? I keep healthy stock here in the back. I call it sort of my own app, little Apple store, at least when it comes to when it comes to cables. So I'm constantly ordering batches and just having them around in different lengths. But anyway, Apple's going to include supposedly a, a little bit better cable in terms of the durability, potentially. 
But the bad news is, is that they're saying, the rumors are saying that they're going to be limited to USB 2.0 speeds. So 480 megabits per second, USB-C, USB 3, I think can do five megabits per second. Uh, The port should be capable of it. The phone should be capable of faster speeds, but you're going to be limited by the cable in the box to the current speeds. So it's not like a downgrade. Our iPhones with a lightning cable, that's currently what they max out at. Um, But you're not going to be getting Thunderbolt uh, unless you decide to get a new cable. So for that uh, new iPhone Pro model that has that sweet, sweet Thunderbolt Thunderbolt 4 speed, yeah, you're going to need a new cable. But no worries, Apple according to the rumors, is going to supply one uh, just for an added cost. Uh, 0.8 meter, so a little bit short, but uh, Thunderbolt 4 transfer cable that you'll be able to buy, and you can whisk data off your iPhone at up to 40 gigabits per second, potentially. We don't know if it's going to be 40 gigabits, 20 gigabits. We'll have to uh, see what Apple delivers us. But yeah, you're going to have to buy that separate is how the news is going. And good news, they say on that cable it's going to support charging up to 150 watts yeah not on your iphone (laughs) let's not get crazy 150 watts uh the cable supports that speed but chances are your iphone's going to max out at a much lower speed i think we already talked about this it's going to be faster than previous versions i think the current version is up to 27 watts it's expected this year's iphones are going to go up to 35 watts charging over the cable they're going to have chi support uh chi wireless support or chi to, excuse me, if I can talk today, wireless support. So faster chi charging speeds as well. Um, but you're going to have to do the cable if you want up to 35 watts. So even though you're going to have a Thunderbolt cable with 150 watts, <laughs> you're not going to be charging your phone that fast, believe me. <laughs> so anyway, that's all, all the stuff related to the cable. Of course, we've also been hearing that this year's iPhones are likely going to cost more. We've talked a little bit about how much more, but we're getting more details. It seems like uh, the price hike might be limited to just the Pro models. So if you're looking at a Pro, expect to pay a little bit more. It's looking between $100 to $200 US more. We'll have to, again, wait and see what Apple officially announces. But it's expected prices on iPhone Pros are going to go up this year a little bit. So just be prepared for that if you've got your eye on one. Um, But because of that, and for some other reasons, a number of people maybe don't have their eye on an iPhone upgrade this year. There could actually be an impact on sales. This is according to analyst Jeff Poo. He said in in a note that Apple is likely going to cut production of the iPhone 15 from around 83 million units for 2023 down to 77 million units. Um, Actually, I think these are launch numbers. Uh, The reason he says demand concerns along with potential supply chain constraints. So we always hear about, you know, issues with supply chain. But I'm just thinking, you know, iPhone's getting long in the tooth. I think there's a lot of folks... And I think I already mentioned this, myself included, are kind of looking at this year's iPhones, especially the non-Pro Max model. And we'll talk about that a little bit and some of the differences. Um, And especially if you're just looking at, you know, an iPhone or an iPhone Plus, there's not a lot changing. There's not a lot of new stuff coming out. There's not a lot of amazing innovations that I think people think they need to have these days. So I, I, I totally agree that demand is probably flattening 
on the iPhone, at least for these year after year upgrades, right? I think that upgrade cycle has been lengthening for a few years for a lot of people. And Apple is just going to have to adapt to that, you know. Uh, other rumors are that iPhone 15 Pro Max shipments, if you do want that one with all the bells and whistles, you might have to wait a little bit longer. That might be delayed until October. We're expecting a September announcement with... um a lot of the iPhone models shipping probably September 22nd is what most of the rumor believes. But the Pro Max, they might have to delay again because of supply constraints and some other issues until later in October. So if you are, again, eyeing that model, be prepared to maybe wait a little bit longer. Um, so if you do that, right, if, if you're willing to wait, you're willing to pay more for the Pro model and pay that extra cash, what are you getting? Let's run down the uh, the changes a little bit. So you're going to get a titanium chassis. So new material, which is pretty exciting. Titanium's nice. It's going to be lighter, potentially more durable. You're getting uh, that thinner display bezel. So less display bezel. Some people care about that. Some people don't so much. Uh, the new action button. We talked about that, I think, on the previous episode of the MacCast. So you, that's going to kind of have... Uh, features that can change based on the apps you're running and what you're doing. It's going to have some cool, I think, little bells and whistles. So you get the little action button in there. Of course, we talked about USB-C with possible Thunderbolt transfer speeds. That color matched 1.5 meter cable. USB-C 2.0 restricted, though. Um, you get the six times optical telephoto zoom with the periscoping lens, but that is going to be an iPhone Pro Max feature only. A17 Bionic processor, and again, remember, we're talking right now just about the Pro models. Um, we've got 8 gigabytes of memory versus 6 currently. The Qi 2 wireless charging upgrade. Uh, we're expecting double the kind of base storage levels. So instead of starting at 128 gigabytes, the Pros are going to start at 256, 512, 1 terabyte, and 2 terabytes, which is a new uh, higher-end storage level and then you get some new colors uh you still have the silver space black um they're expecting a gray titanium they're calling it titanium gray or gray i'm guessing it's more just the the titanium metal without really much coating on it maybe kind of a clear application or something like that and then the special color this year is expected to go to a dark blue and we've had a couple different shades of blue in the past purple was last year um be nice if they mixed up the color a little bit, but it sounds like we're going to go back to blue. So overall, I mean, some nice little enhancements, but it's not, it's not revolutionary folks. It's not, this is not a big leap forward, at least in my opinion, maybe you're excited about things. I think, uh, you know, the telescoping lens is probably the most exciting thing and it's going to be limited to a single model and you're going to have to pay the premium price to get it. So just be prepared for that. If you're more of an iPhone, quote unquote, standard person, uh, iPhone, iPhone Plus, you get almost none of that. You get the color matched USB cable, the Qi 2 charging standard. Um, you're still going to have an A16 processor. It maybe is going to be using the three the new three nanometer process. So maybe a little bit of more performance in there, but not a lot going on with this year's iPhones, in, in my opinion. Um, I'd be curious if you're excited. Oh, and colors on the uh, on the base model iPhones. Uh, midnight, black, the starlight, which is kind of the white. 
yellow, blue, and then rumors of a coral pink, maybe orange color. Um, so I'd be very curious. Are you personally looking to get an iPhone this year? Are you excited about this year's lineup? Are you disappointed? I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and opinions. Shoot me an email or send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. Let's talk a little bit about iPads, specifically iPad Pros and M3 processors. So we know we have the iPad Pro right now with the M1. We haven't seen an M2 upgrade, and it's looking like Apple's going to skip that and go straight to M3, at least according to our buddy Mark Gurman over at Bloomberg. He says we can expect new MP, M3 iPad th- Pros sometime next year. Now, what's going to be new? Uh, possibly, finally, this will be the first edition of the iPad that will get that OLED screen that we've been hearing about. So that'll be a nice upgrade. Of course, the M3 chip coming in there. And then German says also improved and new Magic Keyboards. The sizes are expected to still be largely the same, the 11-inch model and a 13-inch model. Sounding like the 13-inch may be a tad bigger than the current 12.9. I think in the past we've heard about a potential update to a 13.1-inch screen, so I don't know if it's going to be exactly 13 inches or maybe a little bit larger. Um, So if you're a big fan of the larger iPad, you might get a little more screen real estate there, but it's not going to be a huge change. And then German says the new Magic Keyboard will give the iPad Pro an even more laptop-like look. So kind of bringing it closer to that and have a new larger trackpad. So I don't know if there's going to be any other additional design changes for an iPad Pro, but that's expected to come sometime I would imagine early in 2024. So if you're holding out for a new iPad Pro, uh, you might not have to wait too much longer and some sort of exciting exciting enhancements there. I think that's going to be a nice bump up uh, for the iPad Pro. And as someone who has had, uh, I think my iPad, I can't even remember what my iPad is. I haven't bought a new iPad in a a while. It's an an 11-inch. It's pre-M1, so I think it's either a second, I think it's a second generation. And um, I haven't updated yet. So that one, that iPad Pro uh, M3 might have my name on it. It sounds uh, pretty exciting to me and probably about time to do a little update to my iPad, which I absolutely love. Let's talk a little bit finally about AirPods Pro 2. These came out, what? last year i think yeah i think it was almost a year ago that they came out and they were supposed to have some new features that were coming with software and i think we haven't seen all of those yet because it looks like we're fine their apple is going to finally deliver some of the key new features for existing owners of airpods pro 2 via a pretty significant software update that's expected to come out along with iOS 17. So again, this September, so here in a, in a couple weeks, we should get this update and it's actually pretty exciting. So if you own AirPods Pro 2, um, you know, I think you're going to be looking forward to this. I know I am. So let's run down um, some of these updates. So adaptive audio 
This is basically a feature that uses AI and machine learning to kind of blend the two existing modes that we have. So, you know, we have noise cancellation mode and we have the transparency mode. What this is going to do is this is going to allow your AirPods to actually sense your environment and then adapt to whatever situation you are in automatically kind of flipping or changing between noise cancellation and transparency mode. So if you're walking along and, you know, there's a really loud noise or something like that, it's going to kick in more noise cancellation or vice versa. If there's something that maybe you need to he- you need to hear like a siren or um, something important, it's going to move more toward that transparency mode. So we'll have to see how this works in practice, but early signs are that it's pretty neat. Another one kind of related to this is the conversational awareness feature. And this is a feature that will automatically sense when someone starts a conversation with you and you're wearing your AirPods, maybe listening to music or something like that, and then automatically lower the volume on your AirPods. But not only that, it's also going to add voice enhancement to the speaker so that you can better hear them and it will actively work on reducing any background noise, again, to make that experience better. And then finally, what we're hearing is that the first time this actually activates, because it might be a little bit weird and you might think, okay, my AirPods are broken because I was listening to music and the volume just lowered. Apparently, Siri's going to jump in the very first time this kicks on and activates for you and just let you know what's happening with a friendly little message to say, hey, I've I've lowered the audio on your AirPods to let you better hear this conversation. So I guess that's a little trick that Apple's going to do to try to avoid, you know, people taking <laughs> taking their AirPods into a, the genius bar and saying, what the heck is going on with these things? So that's pretty neat. And then uh, you're going to have a mute, unmute feature for phone calls. And frankly, I don't know why this wasn't there before. Uh, and, and that is during phone call, you'll now be able to press the stem on your AirPods to mute or unmute yourself during the call. So you don't have to fumble around for your iPhone to hit the little mute unmute button, which is going to be pretty nice. And then two other features, it's going to have personalized volume, which is going to use AI and machine learning to quote, understand environmental conditions and listening preferences over time to automatically fine tune your media experience. So it's going to tweak the volumes based on how you like to listen to things and what kinds of things you're listening to over time and automatically um, adjust. So you're not going to have to fumble around with volumes and stuff like that when you're watching different, I would, I would hope, I guess I'm kind of reading this into it, but I would hope it detects different kinds of content and what kind of environments you're in and all that sort of stuff and how you sort of adjust the volumes in those situations and then uses that machine learning to to kind of personalize your audio volume experience. And then finally, and this one's, this one's good, but I kind of have a, a caveat to this one. Faster automatic device switching. So one of the magic features about AirPods Pro, right, is this thing where whatever device you're listening to it, it or interacting with, it automatically switches the connectivity uh, between those devices uh, using your iCloud account and all that fun jazz, right? And it works pretty darn good. Actually, in my opinion, almost too good because I'm hoping that along with just making it faster, because frankly, I've not had a huge problem with the speed change. I hope they make it smarter. 
<laughs> I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've often been on a phone call. So I'll have my AirPods connected to my Mac during the day because uh, during working hours, I use Zoom calls and I'm using my AirPods Pro all the time. But sometimes I'll need to take a phone call on my iPhone, so I'll switch them over to my iPhone and sometimes even manually, right? I'll actually go to my iPhone, select my AirPods Pro when I'm on my phone call as my device. And I will have my AirPods switch back to my Mac or to my iPad for no apparent reason at all, right when I'm in the middle of the phone call. And it's infinitely annoying. Um, I don't know why it does that. It doesn't do it all the time, but it happens frequently enough that I find it very, very annoying. So please, Apple, I hope you fix that. I don't know if you've experienced that, but if you have, you know how frustrating it can be. But with that, that is kind of it for the news for this week. Just a few stories, but some pretty cool, neat stuff. Before we move on, though, I do want to take a moment and I want to thank a show sponsor, and that is Notion. I want to tell you some things about Notion, but I think it's a little bit tricky because Notion is not just one thing, really. And I believe that's part of actually what makes it really, really cool and why I like it. With Notion, you can do just about anything you want with text, notes, ideas, whatever. You can create projects and manage them. You can make lists. You can collect ideas. But how you use it in my opinion, is really personal uh, and it can adapt to what you need it to do. So for example, my day job is computer programming, it's coding. And one use I'm finding for Notion for me is collecting code snippets and information to help me code. So it offers really great code lighting, code highlighting, excuse me, in a ton of languages. So it doesn't matter if there's some regex I need for a project or a piece of JavaScript or some view code. I can grab that, pull it all into one place for easy reference. And then there's folders and subfolders so I can organize it all, put it in a place where I can easily go back and find it. And on top of that, I can then create and track projects by making Kanban boards and, and following along. And so it's a great, powerful tool for me to help with my coding, but it could totally be something else for you. So you might be writing a play or wanting to do research for a project, and it can do all of that. But another great feature is Notion AI. I am able to use the power of Notion AI, which is built right in for my coding projects to ask for and find snippets, for example. So if I need a code snippet, I can just use Notion AI. I can type right inside the interface and do that. I save a ton of time since I no longer have to go out and scour websites and do a bunch of searches. I can do everything right there in the Notion AI interface, right inside the app. Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, think bigger, doing tasks that normally take you hours and just seconds. And with Notion, I have access to everything across all my platforms and devices. You really just need to check it out. Try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash maccast. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash maccast to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. And best of all, by using my link, you're supporting the show. Try Notion AI free for right now at Notion.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to Notion for their support of the show.
On the last episode, we were trying to help out a listener who was looking to change email providers. So I've been using their ISP email, which, you know, a lot of us know that's not necessarily the best experience, right? Not all ISPs are really great, especially when it comes to email. And so was looking for recommendations, wanted something where they could use their own domain name. And so I had recommended, if you already have an iCloud account, looking into using iCloud, which allows you to add your own domains now. So that's one option, but we also talked about a few other options, and I asked you for some recommendations, and as always, you came through beautifully with some really, really great recommendations. So Alan wrote in and said, hey, I've been using ProtonMail, and I really, really like it. Um, They have a free level, but he uses the paid level, and I went to go look at it, and it looks like it's a really pretty good deal. You can get 10 email addresses plus use one custom domain and it's four bucks a month, which seems like a pretty good deal to me compared to some of the other plans. Proton, I think also offers VPN. So with that, you do get a VPN included. If you want a little bit faster one, you can upgrade to a higher level plan. Um, but it looks like it has some great options. And I'd heard about Proton Mail in the past, um, never really looked into it. So Alan, thank you for sending that one in. That does look like a really good option for probably many people. So if you're a fan of Proton Mail, let us know about it. I'm curious to hear how many of you out there are using it. I think also on that episode, I had said I knew about fast mail, um, but had never really used it before. And Jim sent in this comment. Hey, Adam, I just wanted to follow up on one of the listener questions on one of your latest episodes. Uh, person was asking about using an email that wasn't their ISP. Um, I currently use fast mail. Um, Their email service has been great. I actually do use it with a custom domain and it was pretty easy and pretty straightforward to set up. But one of the things that I didn't hear you mention on the show was you were actually able to use uh, 1Password integration with Fastmail. So what it allows you to do is you're allowed to make masked email addresses and there's actually an integration between uh, Fastmail and 1Password. So it kind of gives you a little bit more security if you don't want to use your your main email to sign up um, for an account. It's super easy, and I use the uh, browser extension in uh, Firefox on a Mac, and it seems to work pretty well. I'm sure they have it for other browsers as well, but just wanted to make sure that uh, people understood that, and Fastmail has been a great service that I'm happily paid for with no ads. All right, thanks again for all the work. Bye. Hey, Jim, that is awesome. That's a great integration and feature. As you know, I'm a huge fan of one password it makes my life easier over and over again and that's that ability to actually mask your email address something i use with apple now right apple uh icloud lets you mask your email address as well but if you wanted to do that with your own domain and your own email fastmail sounds like a great option for that and integrating that with one password i'm assuming makes it even more seamless and easy to use so there you go a couple more recommendations from the community for email hosting and thanks for everybody who sent in uh your comments and recommendations here's an interesting one brian emailed me with a request that honestly i don't think i've heard this in a while He says, quote, I am looking for a font management program that can organize my fonts, but not suitcase or other subscription-based apps. And so he's looking for a recommendation 
Um, back in the day, <laughs> those of you who have been around as long as I have, and I know there's some of you out there, so don't pretend like you haven't been around as long as I have. Um, a lot of you are newer and welcome, but you know, there's a lot of us old guys who've been in this community for a while. And back in the day, back in my day, we had to use font management tools. <laughs> and there was one from a company called Extensus that was like the one to use, especially, you know, if like a lot of us, you were in desktop publishing, a early application of the Mac, obviously was desktop publishing. And, you know, I was doing that. I worked at an ad agency and we had a million licenses of font suitcase from Extensus. And oddly enough, it was weird to hear you mention that one, Brian, because I didn't know Extensus was still making font suitcase. But these apps were critical because back then font there were font compatibility issues. You really wanted postscript fonts and they were always kind of you were always trying to have issues with fonts. You had if you had a ton of fonts, there were memory issues and, and all sorts of things, and you could get font conflicts and these tools were meant to like manage all of that, right? So you could turn on fonts or turn them on and off depending upon what project you were working on. It was integrated with Photoshop and PageMaker and, um, and uh, oh, why am I blanking on the other page layout program that was huge back in the day? But uh, PageMaker and Quark Express. Oh, man, I can't believe I couldn't remember that one. That was the one that I used mainly. Anyway, we were always managing fonts and it looks like Extensus is still around. It looks like the font suitcase product became Suitcase Fusion and is now something called Connect Fonts. But yeah, it's it's really targeting, I think, big, large agencies and stuff like that. So if you need something more personal, yeah, I don't know what you, do, you would do, but I mean... Honestly, with support for open type fonts and other formats, along with Apple building in Fontbook into Mac OS, I haven't heard a lot about font managers in recent years. So I'm going to need to turn to the community a little bit on this one to find out, is there something more? But for me, you know, Fontbook, which is built right into your Mac, if you go into op at your applications, you have Fontbook. It's the internal thing that manages fonts on the Mac these days. It has most of the capabilities that I think most people would need. You have the ability to load new fonts. It can check and resolve font conflicts if you run into them, although these days I don't think you get a lot of font conflicts. Um, you have the ability to organize and create collections of fonts. So you can put batches of fonts together. You could sort them out by projects. They even have smart collections. So you can have that somewhat automated if you want. Um, once you have fonts in collections, you can activate or deactivate those sets of fonts on the fly. So if this is more about sort of managing how many fonts you have active, so it's not like overloading your font menu, um, that was a problem back in the day too. That was another reason why you had to kind of manage them. Cause if you got too many fonts in your font menu, it would take freaking forever to load. Um, but we, you know, we don't really have that these days. I don't think. And within font book, you can view fonts and styles. I mean, it has a lot of the capabilities that those old font managers used to have. So maybe there is something more that people need, and maybe that's what you're looking for, Brian. So I'm going to throw it out to you in the community. Can you help Brian out? Are you using a font manager other than Fontbook these days? If so, why are you using it? I, that's something I'm curious about. But what would you recommend for managing fonts? Shoot your emails and your audio comments to me, maccast at gmail.com. And I really look forward to hearing from you because I'm kind of curious about this one.
And then finally, uh, for today, I have an email from Rick who pointed out a section in the system information uh, app that I hadn't really noticed before. I understand why it's there um, for disabled software that's on your Mac. So if you open the system information app in applications, utilities, system information, um, and then look over in the left-hand column, you'll find a section called disabled software. And you can click on that and take a look at it. Uh, the list for me and for Rick seems mostly to be old system extensions, uh, KX files, K kernel extension. I think that's what that stands for, K-E-X-T files. Um, and it tends to be, it looks like for me at least, and I think also Rick, things that are either unsigned or don't have user consent. So largely it looks like it's related to old software. But Rick wrote in and he said, hey, it really isn't clear to me. How do you find these and clean them up? Like, how do you get them out of here? How do you, how do you remove them from your system? And again, it looks like they're mostly extensions. So you could go look in system library extensions. They're probably in there. So that's the root system library folder. Uh, you probably don't want to mess around too much in there though, because you could actually break things potentially. Obviously, if these are already disabled, you're probably not going to break much unless you accidentally delete the wrong thing. But that that's where I'd get a little bit worried. So be careful. Always make sure you have backups before you're messing around in things like your system library extensions folder. Um, but it might be better to try and remove them using like an uninstaller app, like clean my Mac, if you can figure out what application they're attached to. So go in and use that app. These apps are great because they don't, unlike just going into the application folder and deleting the app, they're also going to go through your system and find all the places where things like system extensions that are associated with that app are, and they will clean up and remove those. So I'm a big fan of clean my Mac 10. I think I might have just, or X. I keep forgetting it. It's clean my Mac X. Um, and it is a great app. So it, for many things, we've talked about it on the show in the past. But even still, I might not worry about it too much. And, you know, these disabled apps probably aren't a big deal. Again, chances are they're just old files from previous installations that have been left behind. So you've probably even replaced the apps, and these are old copies of that stuff that was from previous generations of that app, and then you upgraded your operating system and then it disabled them they're probably not taking up much space they're not active you can probably overall just safely ignore them um i know it bugs some people because they just like running a clean system so if it really does bug you or there's a lot of files in there or something like that next time a mac os upgrade comes out it might be time to consider doing a clean install this is this is a great example of one of the reasons why you might want to do a clean install if you've just been doing system upgrade, system upgrade, system upgrade, system upgrade for, you know, five, six, seven years. So it would clean this kind of thing up. But honestly, I'm a, if it ain't broke, don't <laughs> fix it kind of guy when it comes to these sorts of things. Like, just ignore it. <laughs> Your system's ignoring it. It's not bothering anybody. Just leave it be. Don't Don't mess with the dust because you could actually end up breaking something but that's just my opinion if anybody other ha anybody else has additional recommendations or thoughts or opinions on this uh, let me know maccast at gmail.com but with that 
that is going to do it for the show for this week. Uh, thank you for hanging out. I always love hanging out with you and talking about this stuff. So before I leave you, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of our show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9, and you can leave a, a voicemail there. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But with that, that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.